I surrender all. We're going to look at that this morning as we come to uh, the end of Mark chapter 12 and our uh, journey through Mark's account of uh, the life and ministry and person of Jesus Christ. We will be looking at uh, just the final uh, five verses there, verses uh, four verses there, 41 through 44, as we consider to understand uh, who Jesus is and what our response to him would be. We read there, verse 41, And he sat down opposite the treasury, this is Jesus, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God grant us wisdom again this morning as we reflect on these words. Uh, the world in which we live in right now, there are so many numbers being thrown around. Uh, we're talking about number of cases and number of deaths and uh, budget numbers and financial things and numbers are just mind-boggling at times uh, to the point where we have really no concept of, of, of some of these big numbers. Uh, take the take the number one billion with a B, one billion dollars. Uh, that doesn't even come close to what they're talking about spending for uh, our upcoming uh, budget here in the United States. But one billion dollars, um, you know, I, I can I can comprehend a dollar, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. You know, I've, I've had to pay bills that are $1,000 or more, we understand that. Uh, when I had my own business, even a $10,000 bill, I, I, I didn't have the bill, but I had to pay those invoices for $10,000, and the bigger the number, the more it hurts. Uh, but it's uh, $100,000. That, one, that one's maybe on the edge of my uh, comprehension as far as how much that would be in my life. And a million dollars, that much further. But a billion, trying to understand a billion dollars, let me, let me give this illustration uh, to help us understand the magnitude of uh, a billion dollars. A man gave his wife one million dollars, one million, not a billion, one million, told her to go out and spend a thousand dollars a day. So she did. Three years later, she came back and all the money was gone. Spending $1,000 a day, it took three years to spend a million. She came back. She wanted more. He then gave her $1 billion and told her to go out and do the same thing. Spend $1,000 a day. He didn't see her again for 3,000 years. Spend $1,000 a day and it would take you 3,000 years to do that. 
Now, now consider some of the other numbers that are being thrown around and you begin to see how mind-boggling it is. Uh, money is always this uh, thing that we wrestle with in the Christian life. What do we do with it? How are we supposed to uh, use it? How do we use it well? What are we, how much of it can we keep? I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, a couple different uh, denominations, uh, money, that is. Um, If you guys uh, hopefully would recognize this one. Know what this one is? A penny? Right, this is a penny. Um, This one... I gave it away. I gave it away. Right? This one is a one-dollar bill. <clears throat> this one, a uh, hundred-dollar bill. Which one of these has the most value? The hundred. Why? You can buy more. It makes sense. Uh, that would be 100 of these. I didn't do the math ahead of time. Uh, that would be a whole lot more of these. Um, so we think that this one, the $100 bill, has the most value because we know what a 100 can do compared to a 1. We know what a $1 bill can do compared to a penny. So even the $1 bill has more value. I want to challenge your thinking on that, though. Imagine you are a mom and you're doing your grocery shopping at Meijer and you have one of your children with you and they're going nuts throwing a temper tantrum. And the only thing that's going to satisfy that child can only happen with this one. You may have a whole purse or pocket full of ones or hundreds or anything else and you don't have a single penny. And the penny pony ride is what your child is screaming for. Which one is now more valuable? You can have all these that you want, but if your child will continue to throw that temper tantrum, all I need is a penny. And this one becomes most valuable at that time. Maybe you're in a different country and they don't accept this. And you're in great need. And it doesn't matter which one you have or how many of them, your money may be no good there. And so they're all equally worthless in that sense. With one of these, you could buy, uh, well, at least you used to, a gumball, one gumball. You could buy a hundred gumballs with this and you could buy 10,000 with that one if you had a if you had a penny and you needed if you needed gas a penny doesn't get you much at all you can't even put your hand on the trigger at the pump without going over a penny already if you have a dollar at uh, roughly the current prices now uh, you would get maybe a third of a gallon, which at 25 miles to the gallon would get you a little over eight miles. But if you need to go much farther than that, the dollar doesn't do you much good either. 
uh, certainly far more than the penny. If you had $100, though, and you needed to go someplace, you can now uh, go over 8,000 or 800 miles on that same vehicle. So we put different uh, values on it. Uh, one, based on what it can buy, but also the circumstances that we would need to use them. What if you were alone and afraid? Maybe your name is Jean and you've just been abandoned and you have nobody and the only food you find is that food that sits there in the dump. Money doesn't do you a whole lot of good when you're hurting and worried and alone and afraid. Money doesn't do those things for you. Herschel Hobbes, uh, a pastor and writer, um, talked about money this way. Money has power, but it also has weaknesses. For instance, money can buy land, but not love. Bonds, but not brotherhood. Gold, but not gladness. Silver, but not sincerity. Hospitals, but not health. Condominiums, but not character. Houses, but not homes. You can buy ranches, but not righteousness. Ships, but not salvation. Hotels, but not heaven. To save your money, he says, to save your money, you must share it. To love it is to lose it. And to invest it forever, you must put it in things eternal. Money is this uh, deceptive thing that lingers out there in life that we need to wrestle with. Jesus in this passage here is teaching us about money, more or less. In fact, he, he brings up this idea that um, somebody has given more by using this when everybody else was using this. And Jesus makes this illustration of this one is more. And it's something that we need to wrestle with, try to figure out what he's talking about. Somebody has once said, and it's been said by different people, so the origin of it, um, we're not actually certain, but um, the quote says, show me a person's checkbook and I can tell you what they care about. Christians never like that one. Uh, there would be things in our checkbook that we would just as soon take that stub out. If we were standing before uh, God giving an account for all of the money that we had, I'd want to take some of the pages out of that book. I'm sure you might as well. Money has this way of, of revealing a little bit of who we are. As much as we wouldn't want to think that way, it's true. How is it possible, though, then in this situation that um, one sum of money, this great sum of money, is actually smaller than the small sum? 
going back to this again, how, how is it that this one, in Jesus' illustration, as he said, this one, she put in more than all the others combined even. There's something about the way she gave. It's something about how she valued her money compared to some of the other people, the rich people there that were, that were giving huge sums of money. Money throughout time has deceived uh, people and led them away from God. Money, money sets itself opposed to God. It, it, it makes you choose one or the other. Scripture says you can't, you can't serve them both. One takes you this way and one takes you that way. You can't serve them both. You have to choose. There were those that uh, in the Old Testament, the, the, the kings that were around, the countries that were around the people of Israel, they thought that their great wealth and power was superior to, or at least equal to, but often superior to, the God of Israel. They thought because of all that they had, and they would amass all kinds of wealth. And that was, the, that was the, one of the tells if, if, a, if a kingdom was strong and secure, if they had all kinds of resources, and certainly the Egyptians at that point did. There was also a man named Achan, if you remember from the book of Joshua. Achan saw money even though he knew he wasn't supposed to take it and keep it. It had a lure for him that caused a great downfall. Not just his, but the people of Israel at that time. They lost a war because he coveted that money and kept it. We've already seen in uh, Mark's account here where he runs across a very wealthy man. And the man is interacting with Jesus and uh, the man has this fairly good commentary on his life. I've, I've kept all these kinds of things. I, I don't murder, I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't do this. And Jesus, well, there's still one problem that you have. It's your money. You need to get rid of all of it and then come follow me. Money for that man was such a huge thing in his life, he didn't know what to do. He wasn't ready to give it up, so he shirked away in shame and left the presence of Jesus. In the book of Acts, um, there is this magician, Simon. And he's a very notable man. Uh, lots of people following him. They think he's, and he thinks himself too, that he's um, quite a powerful, influential man. But when the disciples come and they're, they're ministering in Jesus' name there, he's, he sees all this and he, he gives his life over to Christ. But then when he sees that the, the Holy Spirit is being poured out on people, he makes this error. In Acts 8, 18-21, uh, Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
Peter came back with a sharp rebuke. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Somehow he thought the use of his money would give him the power that God freely gives to those that accept Jesus. When you become a believer, you are given the Holy Spirit. He wanted to take some of that and use that power for himself and was willing to take his money to do that. A poor use of money and it reflected the condition of his heart. We've already went through the book of James and James gives us uh, this uh, stark reminder Chapter 2, what good is it, my brothers? If anyone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And this is the illustration that he gives at that time for putting your faith in action. Suppose a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and well filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? What, is, what good is it, as James is saying, to have the resources to help the one in need and just kind of wish them well along their way and don't take care of their need? What good was that money then? Where would you like to invest it that it actually does some good? As Hobbes was saying as Scripture echoes, uh, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Money has always been this thing that we don't often like to talk about. There's, there's a part of it that we're not sure what we should do. How much, how much belongs to me? How much can I use for my own daily needs? I mean, other people have daily needs. I have daily needs, right? Where can I use it for me and when should I use it for others? We wrestle with those things because Scripture talks a lot about the use of money. Go to the book of Proverbs and read through that again and find out how many times it talks about using money there. But Jesus is not just talking about money. In verse 44 it says, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now she put in she put in two coins that make up what we would call a penny. She had two coins left. We talk about that. I don't even have two two copper coins to rub between my fingers. She had two coins left. And she said, you know, hypothesizing here. I want to still contribute to the work of God. She didn't just put one in. Well, I have one for the Lord and I can keep one for myself. That way I still have something for tomorrow. She put them both in. Everybody else there, out of their deep pockets, oh well... Their act of giving was 
not at all in. It, it, there was something about what was happening there that Jesus saw the condition of the heart. And this woman, much like the, the woman in Elijah's day, when there's nothing left in the land and I'm about to make my last meal and die, give it to the servant of the Lord first and keep trusting. I wonder if the woman here at the temple knew that story and was convicted by that and remembered what somebody had done long ago and said, it was all his anyway. And so I'm going to give it all back. Job had that same kind of exclamation. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's all His anyway. The call to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, one of His disciples, has always been an all-in lifestyle. Jesus doesn't look for people that want to say, I'll give you my Sundays. I still get six days for myself. I'll give you six days and I get one for myself. Maybe Saturday is your day that um, is all for you. He's not looking for partial followers or mostly followers. Jesus has always been calling people to leave everything. Leave everything and follow Jesus. Now, you and I have to wrestle with that. When we sang that song before the message, uh, I Surrender All, I had a hard time singing that. Sometimes some of these songs that uh, we sing paint a, a, a different picture than what's actually true. Uh, I don't know how it would flow in the song if we added the extra word in there that would probably make it more true of us. I want to surrender all. I really do. I, I would love to do that because there are times when I've been at this time of surrendering to God and He just blesses me, not just financially, maybe not even financially, but the goodness of God just overwhelms me in those times where I just say, I can't do anything by myself anyway. So I surrender more. But the call is always to surrender all. I'm not there yet. And I know you're not either. But that's always the call. Paul said it in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul paints a picture of the Old Testament whole burnt offering. All of it went on the altar. The priest didn't get any. Nothing was saved. All of it was burned up. All of it given to God. Paul paints that picture there. I give everything to you. And whatever you would call from me, it's going to come to you. Whatever you would ask of me, I'll do it. Wherever you would send me, I'll go. Whatever you want me to speak, I'll say. It's always been that way. Jesus said earlier in, in Mark, in chapter 8, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
Or what could a man give in exchange for his soul? Even as Jesus uses the illustration of this poor widow giving her last, all of it. And he sets her up as the example. She doesn't even have a name in the story. She's just a poor widow with two small coins. And Jesus says, she was all in. The rest, even out of all of their abundance, they still reserve something for themselves. It makes us consider more and more, what do we do with our money? But more than our money, how far in what areas of life do we give our all? For the, for the rich young man, he needed to show his full following of Jesus by giving up all of the riches that he had. You and I, it may be something else, but it's going to require all of it, not part of it. And one day, uh, when we are faithfully following in that way, the reward for that faithfulness and that level of, of uh, devotion to Christ will be richly rewarded. Can't even imagine uh, what, what Helen's going through as Bernice is going through and the other people that have recently lost people to think of what they have experienced, what they have gained now, as Paul would say, to live as Christ, to die is even more than that. More than Christ. But Jesus, even by using the poor widow, is still the ultimate example for us. Jesus is the one that gave all. We have songs that sing about giving all. Uh, and that comes, that, that mindset of, of, of first responders and uh, emergency people, all those people... Um, military people that give their all for what they're um, committing themselves to comes out of this biblical call to follow Jesus. We commend those people in this world. We lift them up and we honor them for the sacrifice that they make. And that call is still for us as Christians to do it in that same way, but now for the life and the ministry and the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is the only example. His is the only name by which we can be saved. Whether we realize it or not, we are separated from God. There's a barrier between us. The Bible says that that barrier is like a veil. 
In the same way a veil covers the glory and the beauty of a bride on her wedding day, this barrier, this veil, separates us from the glorious light of God. Sin is that barrier. It's our sin, our pride, it's our selfishness that separated us. And there we were in the dark, lonely and hopeless. But God, rich in mercy and full of love, like a desperate father looking for a runaway child, he came after us. He so desperately wanted that barrier to be broken for that veil to be torn down that whatever the cost, whatever the price, he was willing to pay it. And that price was his son. And his son took the pain and the punishment upon his own back. He allowed the nails of our sin into his hands and into his feet. He hung on a cross, and just like us, he was alone in the darkness. But what seemed to be a shocking defeat was instead the greatest act of love we'd ever seen. Because the moment he died was the same moment that the barrier was destroyed. The veil that separated us from God was at last torn wide open. And when it was all said and done, there was only one name that remained. Jesus, we come to You as the table has been prepared for us. And we are without words. It was my sin that held You there. It was my sin that brought You there. But it was my sin that was covered there. And so Jesus, thank You for all that You did in Your life and Your death and Your glorious resurrection so that we have that hope in this world and for the life to come. And so Jesus, we give our lives to You. We give everything we have to You. And now, even now, as we celebrate what You've done for us, may we celebrate in the fullness of our spirits surrendering all, giving everything back to You for all that You've done for us. Bless us, Jesus. Amen.